0: Well, good morning, Oakwood. Glad that you're here this morning, and we have a lot to be thankful for this morning because we do not have a hurricane in our backyard, I'm telling you what, for the people in Houston and the people in Florida, and um, it's close to my heart this morning because I just got a text, I have relatives in Fort Myers and uh, two aunts that live there with their family um, down there, and they were just, I just got text from them backstage that uh, one of them works at a hospital, so she had to, she was asked to stay behind for the hospital, and she texts me. The hospital still has power, but the winds are coming up, and you know things are starting to starting to uh, get a little hairy there. So uh, we just need to be praying for all of them uh, this morning. And I was reminded earlier we were uh, backstage uh, praying for the services, and Alan Seibel, our associate uh, minister, was back there with us, and um, he's you know kind of said some things that just reminded me of the churches that are displaced this morning. I mean. You know, Sunday morning is traditionally a time to go into to worship together. And this morning, there's churches in Houston still, I'm sure, that are still trying to figure out what that looks like with damaged facilities. But even beyond that, um, the the churches in in Florida that are you know are evacuated this morning, and, and what does it look like for them? So I just think we would be remiss if we didn't pray uh, for all of those uh, victims and, and the ones going through it right now. So let, if you would, please bow with me, and let's go, to the Lord. And uh, pray on their behalf this morning, Father God. We come before you now because we know that you're a God that listens to your children. And uh, God, we uh, we just come before you now, Lord, um, knowing that that there are churches and, and brothers and sisters in Christ in Houston that are um, suffering, and they're still trying to figure things out. We know there was damage to church facilities. That some churches are displaced. Um, Uh, Lord, we know that the recovery efforts will be long, and uh, Lord, we just want to lift them up to you this morning, that whether they're meeting in a shelter uh, somewhere, maybe maybe they're meeting in a park or um, wherever they could find space, Lord, that you would just bless them in in an extra special way and give them encouragement, Lord, to know that brothers and sisters around the world are praying for them. Uh, Lord, for all of those that are from South Florida, for all the things that were evacuated, obviously there's not Sunday morning services going on down there. Um, so many great churches down there in South Florida, and, and Lord, we just want to lift up them to you. We want to lift up all of our, our families and our friends um, that are in that part of the country and what they're going through. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, just be with them in a special way in their time of need, and that Lord, this somehow through these natural disasters, it would just really um, cause people to reflect on eternal life and, and, and to ultimately reflect on you, God. As, as the provider of our lives here in this world. And God, just pray that you'd be with all of the victims, all those who are, are suffering in some way. And God, just pray that you would just work mightily in their lives. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been in a series uh, for four weeks. Um, this is the last week this morning um, called Love Can. We've just been kind of talking about what love can do. The first week, we talked about how love can rescue my relationships, whether it's a friendship or a marriage God's kind of love can rescue that relationship. The second week, we talked about how love can overcome my circumstances. That we understand that Jesus was brought into the world because of God's great love for us. And with his help, we can overcome anything. Anything. Tornadoes. Hurricanes. We can overcome anything through through Christ who gives us the strength. Last week, we talked about how love can shape my purpose in life. Give you true meaning and purpose in life. And today, we're going to talk about how love can... Can change the world, how love can change the world. If you brought your Bible this morning, please turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's two ways you can follow along this morning. You can get into our app, the Oakwood app, and uh, go to the sermon notes there. It's got all the scriptures and everything. Um, If you don't want to do it digital, there's a Bible right in front of you this morning. If you grab that Bible and you turn it to page 828, you'll be right there at Matthew 22. And verses 34 through 40 is what we're going to look at first this morning. Now, if you've been around church for any amount of time or you've been a Christian, you've probably heard this passage of Scripture. Uh, It's when the Pharisees are coming to Jesus and asking him, what is the greatest commandment? You know, what's the greatest one? They're actually trying to trick him. So let's read this uh, together, Matthew chapter 22, beginning with verse 34. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So what had just happened in in the section just before is the Sadducees were asking Jesus some questions and trying to trick Jesus or catch Jesus, and um, they were unsuccessful. Obviously, it says here that Jesus had silenced them. And so then it says the Pharisees gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, somebody who was good with words, asked him a question to test him. Again, they've been doing this really for about a year and a half. For about 18 months, they've been trying to catch Jesus because of his teaching, because of his beliefs. They're trying to disprove him and discredit him to all the people that are believing in him, to all the people that are following Jesus. And so here they do it once again. They're trying to test him. And this is what the Pharisee said, verse 36 Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answered them and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus gives us this line in verse 4. He says, on these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. Now we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it this morning. But basically, Jesus makes it really, really simple to follow God here. Because he's saying all of the law, all of the rules, the Ten Commandments, the big ten for the book of Exodus, all the law that was given to us in the book of Leviticus and in the book of Deuteronomy, all of the laws are summarized really in two things. If you'll love God first and love people second. Love God and love people. It's so simple and yet so profound. And you may say, well, how does all the law wrap up into these two commands? It's because if you love God, you won't use his name in vain. If you, if you love God, you'll have no other idols before him. And you can go through all the laws, and if you just think, if I love God, I wouldn't do this to him, then, then that would be it. The same thing with loving people. If you love people, you won't steal from them. You won't covet what they have. You won't have a jealous heart. You won't commit adultery with their spouse. If you love people, you won't do those types of things with people. And so Jesus makes it really simple. He says all the law and the prophets and all the rules are really just summarized in this. Just love God. Love him. Love people. And you hear that this morning, you're like, that is so simple. I think everybody in this room, it doesn't matter what your age is, you could understand that. You just love God first. You love people second. It's so simple, and yet it's very, very profound. And it's really easy to understand, isn't it? We, we all nod our heads. Man, I totally understand what you're saying. And it's very, very hard to live it. Very, very hard to live it. I want you to know this morning, though, is if you pursue love, As your highest goal, you will experience God's greatest purpose for your life. If you pursue love, and I'm talking about God's type of love, an agape type of love. If you pursue love without condition, unconditional love, and that is your highest goal, you will experience God's greatest purpose for your life. Because love can make all the difference in someone's life. It can literally change their world. And as you are loving another person it can it can change your world too because you're actually realizing what god has made you to do he has made you to be his ambassador you are a representative of him To the lost and dying world. And you are to teach people and reach people who are far from him. Love can truly change the world. Now we did a series this spring called This is for Everyone. And some of you may still have your little wristbands on. It says this is for everyone. On the other side it says pray for one. And this was a reminder that the gospel of Jesus Christ is literally for everyone. Everyone. Okay? It doesn't matter what socioeconomic status you have. It doesn't matter your, your race, your color, your language. Every tribe, every language, every people, Jesus loves them all. God loves them all. And So he sent Jesus into the world, and we're reminded that this is for everyone. The gospel of Jesus Christ is literally for everyone. And, and we even started doing something called Love Your Neighbor Nights, uh, we, we started this in the spring that one night a month we were actually canceling our midweek services, our Wednesday night services, and, and all the, the small groups and activities, the children's ministry there. We we're canceling that to give you 90 minutes to go talk to someone about Jesus. And so we encourage people to, to get together for a cup of coffee, to invite someone over to your house for, for an evening, for a dessert or something, but to really just tangibly reach out to people for Jesus Christ because we are crazy enough to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that that. that. That kind of love can change somebody. Today, I want us to focus on really another step to this on a deeper level. Today, I want us to focus on how we love and have concern as Christ followers. You see, we are a church. We are a gathering of believers, a gathering of the followers of Christ. And so it, it's you and me. So don't get caught up when we say church, that, oh, it's a building, or it's a place that you go, or it's some kind of an entity. We are God's people. We are called the church, and we're to be about God's work and God's mission to change the world. That's what we're to be about. And I have a guy that I graduated, um, Dallas Christian College. He also uh, graduated from there. His name is Judd Wilhite. Jed Wilhite is at Central Christian Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay, He's at a rather large church there. There's like 28,000 people attend uh, services on the weekends there. And uh, you know, we all call uh, Las Vegas Sin City. He calls it Grace City because of the awesome work that God's doing amongst the people in Las Vegas. And so uh, he's got many, many Christians there, and I was listening to, listening to him speak, and he, he shared this story, and it really struck me, and I want to share it with you this morning. He was talking about um, this Museum of Life Saving. Now, you know we have museums all across the country. You know, we got museums about this, and we got museums about that, and there's a race car museum, and a football museum, and all these museums. Well, I would never heard of this one, the Museum of Life Saving. And how it got its start was from this group called the Life Saving Society, which that sounds like a very amiable group, right? It's the the life-saving group, the life-saving society. Where this got its start was in the early 1800s. Ships were coming over from Europe, and what was happening is they would make that two or three-month trek all the way across the Atlantic Ocean, coming into the coast, and they would get just, sometimes just a few hundred feet from the coast and be coming in, and they would hit a rock. The rock would actually break a hole in their ship, and, and they would sink, and they would lose all of their stuff, and and many times the people died. They drowned, and what would happen is when they hit that rock, they'd start shooting off signal flares for you know somebody to see us and know that we're under you know stress or duress out here. You need to come out here because the coast was so rocky, and so what this group did is they saw this issue, and they saw so many people losing their lives, and. And so they started the Life Saving Society. And what they did is they built these little huts on the shorelines every few miles, um, especially in the really rocky areas. And they built these huts, and they actually called these huts Huts of Refuge. These Huts of Refuge were set up along the coast. And basically, it was run by volunteers that were all members of this life-saving society, and they had literally risked their lives to go out and to help people. They would stay on the shoreline, and they would watch for flares. They'd see the ships coming in, and if one of them shot a flare up, they'd know they were in trouble, and they would actually go out and run to the need and help those people. They had a slogan. Listen to their slogan. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. It's like, wow, I'm sure that was a great recruitment tool for volunteers. (laughs) You have to go out, but you may not make it back. Uh, Eventually, what happened with this group is the Coast Guard eventually took it over, and the government got involved in that. And so they actually, the Coast Guard, the U.S. Coast Guard and and this uh, life-saving society, they actually partnered for a period of time. Now, here's the interesting thing. I never even heard of the Life-Saving Society and found out that they still meet today. They are now a, a like a, I call it a social and civic club. They have meetings and they have gatherings and banquets and they have food. They do some civil, civic activities in their communities um, up there on the East Coast. Um, they, they obviously support that museum, the Life Saving Museum, which has their story of how they got their, their start. Uh, they even have a well-funded budget from their donors that give money to, to fund those, those things. But they're just not in the life-saving business anymore. And when I heard this story, what impacted me was the fact that I think this could happen to any individual Christian. And I think it could also happen to some very well meaning churches. That over time, we would drift from our purpose and we kind of quit looking for the rescue. Now, we still meet together, and we, we still have our meetings, and we still have our banquets, and, but we're just not in the life-saving business anymore. I'm afraid this has probably happened to far too many churches and to far too many Christians. And that's not what God has called us to. See, God has called us into the life-saving business that we are all to be manning our, our little huts of refuge wherever we're at. I mean, maybe you have a job that maybe you're like a teller at a bank and, you know, I I would love to think of your window or your place in in the teller line there being a hut of refuge. that people actually come and they'll pick you because they know you love them and you'll listen to them. Maybe you're in a back office at wherever you work, but they, people know in the office, it's like, if you have a problem, if you have an issue, guess what? The hut of refuge is in so-and-so's office. Because you can go in there and you can be real and you can, you can share your feelings. You can even shed a tear in there and you can get prayer and support. And that person is a really loving person. And so they've set up this hut of refuge in, in, in this place. And it doesn't matter where you work or whether you're at school, that we as Christians are called to be like these little huts of refuge for the world. And to show God's love and to shine God's, God's light into these places. And so we're to be people, and we're to care about what God cares about. And God says, I care about lost people, I care about evangelism, and I care about the hope and the change that I can bring to their lives. And the way God chooses to do that is either supernaturally by himself or through us, his people. You know, one of the best stories about taking serious the mission that God has all of us on who are believers and sharing the gospel and loving people is found in Acts chapter 8, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And I'd like to go there this morning. So if you're in Matthew 22, now I want you to go over to Acts chapter 8. So just turn to the, to the right in your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then is the book of Acts chapter 8. If you're following along in one of our Bibles, just turn it to page 917. 917 story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Again, maybe a, f- a story that you've heard, maybe a story that's familiar to you. I really want to open this up this morning and, and just really see um, how, how God uses Philip in these circumstances and how love can truly change the world because it changed the world of this, this guy from Ethiopia. So, beginning uh, Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. This is what it says. And now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. I always think it's interesting when we get little tidbits like that in scripture. In other words, no one wants to really go there because it's a desert place. Verse 27, and it says that Philip rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, who was the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I? Unless he guides me." And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself, or is it about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going down along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, you might notice something a little funny there. It goes from verse 36 in my Bible, and then it jumps right to verse 38. I'm like, wait a second, where's verse 37? Well, in my Bible, there's a little note at the bottom, and the note at the bottom says this. That some manuscripts, not all the manuscripts, but some manuscripts had this verse, which we're going to call verse 37. Verse 37, and the response to, well, hey, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And now verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. What I want to do this morning is to share some things that Philip did, and how he, in a very tangible way, showed love and showed patience to this Ethiopian eunuch, someone he didn't even know. How that made a big difference in his life. And the first thing he did was this. He obeyed the call of God. The first thing he did was he obeyed the call of God. Now, I don't have time this morning, nor is it my intent to teach you about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. We'd have to, that'd be something for another, another time of teaching. Suffice it to say, though, for our purposes this morning, that when you are walking in obedience with the Lord... When you are actually close to the Lord, and you're reading the Bible every day, and you're praying, and and you're walking in daily communication with the Lord, that he speaks to you, maybe not in an audible voice, but by putting a thought or a conviction in your mind and in your heart, as he did with Philip here in our passage today. Now, he did it two different ways. Look at verse 26 at the very beginning. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So that point was God using an angel to actually speak to him. But look at verse 29. It says, and then, it says, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit now, said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. I want you to understand this morning that God speaks today. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, I think we've all had these moments where we come under conviction and we feel and hear the, the call of God on our lives to talk to somebody. And the difference between Philip here and the difference between us is that he obeyed. <laughs> he actually did what the Holy Spirit told him to do. And there's so many times where I think we fall short in this area because we don't. We just try to deny it. We try to run away from it. We're like... Oh, you know, and it, it's weird how it happens sometimes, isn't it? I mean, you're just in a situation, you're in a circumstance, and all of a sudden you feel led, like I need to say something to this person, or I need to say this specific thing to this person, or, or, or sometimes it's someone that it's a friend or a family member, and you know them. Sometimes it's someone you don't even know, and you feel like God is, are you really telling me to speak to a total stranger, and and, and what am I supposed to do? But whatever God is leading you to do, especially when you're about doing His work, I think it would behoove us to actually obey God, to do what he asks us to do, because Philip obeyed the call of God. We are never closer to God, I think, than when we are speaking to others on his behalf. And so if you really want to walk in the Spirit and you really want to be close to God, which I think we're we're, we're all here this morning, so we all do, we need to be doing his work and speaking to others on his behalf. So Philip, he obeyed the call of God. The second thing he did is he asked good questions. He asked a really good question look at look what it says there in verse 30 it says so philip ran to him and heard him reading isaiah the prophet okay so he found out exactly where he's at here's this guy i've been called by god i'm walking along this chariot and he hears him reading the the prophet isaiah and so he he knows this and then he asks the question and, and it's simple again but yet profound do you understand what you are reading he didn't walk up to it and say, hey, I want you to know, I know everything that you're reading and I could like totally set you straight on it. In a very humble way, he asked a really good question. And here's the thing is we want to start a conversation. Sometimes the way a conversation goes is you've got to ask some questions. You ever met that person that, they, that you have a conversation with them, but it's always one-sided because all they ever do is talk about themselves? <laughs> They never throw the ball back and ask you a question like you ask, "How you doing?" Well, I'm not doing really good. I did this and I don't know this. And then my, my wife, my kids, my yeah, my job, and everybody, everybody, everybody. And then you get down down the road, and you're like, you're you're begging them to say, "Please ask me how I'm doing," because I have some stuff too. And they're like, "Nope, nope," and they're never going to throw that ball back. They're just going to talk about myself. <laughs> I'm going to move right along. He's showing selflessness here by this question. It's just simple. Do you understand what you're eating? He didn't use some canned approach. This wasn't some apostolic, you know, strategy he was using. There's no sales pitch here. There's no gimmicks, no manipulation, no fear tactics. I think sometimes a simple, do you understand type of question can go a long way. And sometimes I think that we as Christians can be fearful that we never ask people questions. I've actually felt convicted before to ask someone a very specific question. And... We just need to understand that that he asked good questions. He was open to that. So he obeyed the call of God. He asked good questions. Third thing is he listened well. He listened well. Look at verses 31 through 34. So right after he asked this question, do you understand what you're reading? Then the Ethiopian eunuch says, he says, how can I unless someone guides me? And then... The Ethiopian eunuch invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot, and then they read that passage, and we read it there in verses 32 and 33 from Isaiah about the sheep being led to the to the slaughter, and it was silent, and you know what what are we, what are we to do with this generation? And then you go down to verse 34. It says, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? You know, sometimes I think when we are about to share the gospel, we are so anxious um, that we try to talk, and we just talk and talk and talk, and, and, and we're a little anxious about that, and so we, that's kind of like how we cope is we're just going to talk, I've got this presentation in my mind. But I think a lot of times we need to pause and we need to listen, and to find out exactly where people are, I just think there's a lot of wisdom in that. See, listening, I think, is one of the very best nonverbal ways for you to communicate to someone. I care about you. You are important to me if I will listen to you. When you listen to someone, you're telling them, I am interested in learning how you think. I am interested in learning who you are. I'm interested to know what you think about this or, or that. And that communicates love to them. Because now they actually have someone who's interested. So notice here, don't 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 miss this because we could glean over it so fast in this passage that he asks a good question, but then. He listened well. The fourth thing that he did is he shared the gospel. He shared the gospel. Look what it says there in verse 35. It says, Then Philip then Philip opened his mouth. I don't think that's in there by accident. It says, Then, after he listened, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, which is right where that guy was, right? He found exactly where he was, exactly where he needed to be. He knows, okay, he's struggling with this Isaiah passage. This is, so starting right there with that scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And this is probably the scariest part for every Christian. This is the part where we falter a bit. But I'm here to tell you this morning, I'm just going to tell you the truth. If you are a Christ follower and you call yourself a Christian, then you should be able to, in some basic way, introduce someone to Jesus Christ to tell someone the good news about what Jesus has done for them. Now, it is not a bad thing For you to involve a pastor or an elder or a a deacon or someone who's maybe further along in the faith, more mature, knows more than you. But I'm here to tell you this morning that every Christian should be able to give a basic plan of salvation to a friend. And and here's the the reason why. is because I think it's better for you to do it. You have established the friendship. You have invested the time in this person you have demonstrated the credibility to be heard you're the one that has developed the trust you have earned the right for that moment to share the gospel and so we should speak up and we should explain the basics of the gospel of salvation now i can just say that this morning and leave it right there and say hey figure it out on your own okay but i saw something really cool a few weeks ago and i'm going to share it with you this morning and it's called epic so if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. Write down EPIC, E-P-I-C. This is an acrostic for a very quick way and a very tangible way to share the gospel with someone, okay? Just remember, it's going to be EPIC because the results, I mean, let's be honest, could be EPIC. The first thing is the E stands for entrance, Okay. Entrance. This is the story of creation. God's plan was to be in a loving relationship with all of us. And so He created us to enjoy Him, to enjoy each other, to enjoy His creation. He made us with this capacity to choose to obey or to not obey, to love or to not love. And Adam and Eve, and subsequently, really all of us, made this mistake that we chose disobedience against God. And so it created a problem. And that's the P. So we have entrance is the E, and then P is problem. Our problem is our rebellion against God. And in the Bible, they call this sin. Romans 3.23, you want to write, write that one down. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That everyone's a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, another one you may want to write down. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we have this entrance, we're created, but then we have this problem that we've created, which is sin. And then we get to the I. The third thing is interve- intervention. The I stands for intervention. This is the coolest part of the gospel presentation is because God intervened. He created a way by sending his son to the world in the fullness of time to lay down his sinless life as an atoning sacrifice to cover our sins. Romans 5.8 puts it this way. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And God gives us this opportunity to be saved from the consequences of sin and by accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to have hope of eternal life and to be with God again in relationship with him forever. So we have the entrance. We have the problem. We have the intervention. And then the last part, the C is choice. Once we understand our need for peace, once we understand what Jesus did on the cross, then it's up to us to make a choice. And we all make the choice. We respond to His grace favorably or unfavorably. We either accept Him or we reject Him. It's that plain and simple. And beyond that, you know, we talk about a belief, a faith started in Jesus Christ, repentance, a turning away from sin, a confession of our faith before people, Um, and then a submission to Christian baptism. But anytime you share the gospel, I want you to think, if I share the gospel with someone, the results could be epic. And you can think of that as just a simple way to remember how to take them through a gospel presentation. The entrance in the world, God wants a relationship with us through creation. The problem is we sin against him, we disobey his commands. Then God intervenes and says, I'm going to send my perfect son who is sinless to take your place, and then we're faced with a choice that we all have to make. And so, what's great is that he shared the gospel. He didn't squander the opportunity. He was listening to the Spirit. God got him in the right place at the right time to win this person to Jesus Christ, to get him out of the Old Testament and to bring him into the newness of life offered through Jesus. And then the fifth thing that he did, and the last thing I'm going to share this morning, is that he stayed with it. Philip stayed with it. I want you to notice that after Philip shared the gospel, he did not pressure He did not attempt to manipulate a decision in any way. He did not employ good salesmanship. He just taught him. He answered his questions. And the scripture says that he presented the gospel to him. And we can see that because he was up on the chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch, this was shared in a conversational way to get this guy to think about it. Do you really believe in God and in Jesus? Do you really want to surrender your life? To and your destiny to Jesus, do you really want to choose the narrow way that leads to life instead of the wide and broad path that leads to destruction? This Ethiopian eunuch had come to this place where there was a fork in the road, and he was now presented with all the information so that he could choose. Look at what happens in verse 36 and following it says, And as they were going along the road, see, it says, As they were going along the road, we don't know how long they went. Did they go miles? I mean, was it just a few minutes? This presentation and the conversation, or did it go on for hours? We don't really know. It says, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. The Ethiopian eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 37. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And verse 38 says, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Do you see that Philip stayed with him through, the, through to the end? Sometimes we, like, present the gospel, but we don't, like, stay with it. Philip stayed with it till the very end. And then look at the result. man ends, ends up confessing Christ, giving, giving his confession of faith, and being baptized. I love verse 39. Is when the eunuch had come up and he, and he had baptized him in the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And then what did he do? It says, and he went on his way rejoicing why did he go on his way rejoicing is because he experienced god's love and it totally changed his world totally changed his world we have this opportunity as believers to share the gospel and to invest it and to inject it into daily life of all the people around us and I'm a firm believer because I've seen it so many times that love can really change people. It can completely change their world. Showing God's love to people by, by being a servant and humbling yourself and serving them, by inviting them, showing them enough care that you would just invite them to church, by, by, by listening to them and allowing them to share their life and their needs with you. And even more so by sharing the gospel with someone, it can really make a difference. And our job is to not lose the mission. I don't want to be like the life-saving society that, that, hey, we're just a church and we come to meetings and we throw some banquets and we share some food and fellowship together. Our sense of mission has to be white hot because of Christ's imminent return. And we need to be about finding those who are lost. What did Jesus say? It is not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And then Jesus said, and I came to seek and save, seek and save, seek and save, seek and save those who are lost. Jesus is the answer. My prayer is that you've experienced that in your own life. And if you have, now you've got to go help someone experience that in their life. Because love can change the world. Let's pray.